on Friday, June 10th, Season 3 of the Apple TV alternate history drama for all mankind will premiere and we could not be any more excited. And amazingly, today we're joined by one of the stars of the show, Chris Marshall, for an interview which Emily and I have had on our bucket list for two years. Are you looking forward to For All Mankind Season 3? Let us know at Space and Things 1 on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram and Facebook or via the contact form on our website. And don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. But right now, enjoy episode 92 of the Space and Things Podcast. Things with Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 92 of our podcast. Now, Emily, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. How are you doing? Yeah, it's been crazy busy here. Tell, yeah. tell us about how you got on last week over at Kennedy Space Center. Let people know what was going on there, because this is ridiculously cool. Well, last week I was at uh, Cape Canaveral Space Force Station to watch uh, the SpaceX Transporter 5 rideshare uh, Falcon 9 launch. Uh, and one of the CubeSats on board was carrying our Celestia's payload. Emotionally, it was incredible. Obviously, I, I did write a blog post about it, which really only covers pre-launch. It doesn't really cover the memorial service or the launch itself. Those are upcoming. It, it was incredible just because I met a few people, you know, at the event. Even though, you know, we come from different backgrounds and different life experiences, we have a lot remarkably in common. I think we humans have more in common than we don't sometimes. Absolutely. Despite everything. And, and the launch itself was really awesome. But that first stage landing, oh my God, that was incredible. Um, if anybody can get out to see a first stage landing at Landing Zone 1 or whatever at Cape Canaveral Space Force Station, just do it. I, I don't want to spoil too much of it for you all, but it, it, it's like nothing on this planet. So you, you guys got to come out and see it. That's like a bucket list experience. So uh, it was just incredible. I'm really still processing what all happened just because, you know, just... For me, the really important part was just being able to mingle with the families and, and, you know, help them out. And also you realize that this whole thing, the launch, everything, it's really bigger than ourselves, you know, and it's really cool. I'm very glad to work with a company that does something like this, you know, where we can give people their final wishes. And I think it's something bigger than all of us. And I, I love working, you know, in, in a field like that. So it's really awesome. And so, <laughs> I see you've been busy too, right? <laughs> yes, I have. Hasn't May just been the craziest month? Yeah! So much has been going on. Anyway, when I was at the gala at the start of the month, I was introduced by Nicole Stott to Amanda Lee Falkenberg, who is a composer, and she has composed a symphony called the Moon Symphony. It's about various moons in our solar system, Ganymede, Titan, and the seventh movement is about our moon. So, it's, it's seven movements in total, and... Amanda invited me down to watch the London Symphony Orchestra record the symphony. So I was one of 10 people in the room with the orchestra at St. Luke's Chapel in London near the Barbican Centre watching one of the best 
orchestras in the world sight read their way through this incredible symphony, uh, which is Amanda has composed. We're going to get her on to talk about her at some point because it's really quite special what she's done. The seventh movement, when they were playing that, everyone was there was just in tears. It was so powerful, but it was just such a great experience. You had the composer there with her score, making sure the orchestra were playing it correct. You had the conductor communicating with the orchestra and the composer and the people that were recording to make sure they had everything. But you just had this incredible group of people. An orchestra is possibly the ultimate team performance. Everyone's got to be on their A game for it to work. It was just amazing to witness. I've never seen anything like that. The fact it's all connected with science as well so they had scientists some of the other guests there were the scientists who have helped amanda uh, and they've worked on missions to do with those moons uh like cassini and things like that it's it's just nuts so the whole thing is pretty special project and i got to witness this there's another part going on where they're going to add some choral stuff awesome uh which i'm sure would be amazing but just hearing the orchestra on on their own without the choral stuff was breathtaking absolutely breathtaking so that's what I've been up to, or one of the things I've been up to. But before we get on to the interview, and it, we've got a great interview lined up, and I know there's some people here who probably are only here for that and we're five minutes in. But Emily, you've also written another article, which I think will lead in nicely to our interview. Uh, and it's about Judy Resnick, one of the astronauts who died on the Challenger disaster. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? I will also put a link in the show notes. Yeah, basically, um, the more I tried to research about her life, because I wanted to write like a, I guess, a definitive biographical article about her, you know, or or something of that nature. And I started trying to dig into her life and I found out that a lot of existing biographical sources and, you know, unfortunately, her parents have passed away, you know, probably years ago. So I, I there's no parents to talk to. She didn't have she didn't have any children. She wasn't married. So, you know, I tried to look for some biographical sources on her, and it was incredibly difficult. I, I did find what I was told was the definitive article about her, and uh, for many reasons, it was very problematic. And I felt strongly that, you know, okay, that is not <laughs> the right source to be going on, you know, just because it, it really was not about her. You know, it was yeah. about the people she knew and I, I just I, I didn't like that approach at all so at that point I sort of just gave up you know and I feel that way even though this is a completely different astronaut I sort of feel the same way with Jack Swigert but there's probably more source material about him which is yeah. crazy I just felt like maybe you know it's not that I want to give up to give up but it's just sort of like maybe that story should belong to her not to anybody else maybe I'm not the right person to gatekeep that story that was basically what i wrote about you know that that's not to say you know i'm territorial about it i i I think there's probably a number of great writers or or a great writer out there who could probably do the job right you know and I, i would love to see that but for me i just felt like maybe it's not me you know maybe it's maybe i should just let her rest in peace you know i don't know so that's basically what my article is about yeah, and I think I understand that as well. I've tried to write songs about emotional events in my life or other people's lives before, and I found it really difficult at times and just had to walk away from it because it's just not been right for me. So yeah, I understand that thought process. But isn't it crazy how few biographies there are about the astronauts who died on Challenger? There's probably one about Krista, but I can't think of 
any others. Yeah, I think Krista has one, but her um, mother wrote it. So, I mean, she had a family member, you know, a a surviving family member. And there was really a lot of material about McAuliffe, you know, because she did a ton of interviews and she was a fairly public figure, whereas Judy is a little different. She was a famous person, but not a public figure. She, She was kind of private. So it's a little different with her. But isn't it even surprising that NASA in the aftermath didn't do a more focused biography of all of them? Nope, you're correct. They they did not. Granted, the internet didn't exist. So how would they get that stuff out? It's not that they couldn't get it out, but it's not the same, is it? As it is yeah. now where, where they could have a webpage dedicated to those astronauts, for example. But it's amazing that that didn't happen. I have feelings about why, but I, I think the way they dealt with Challenger was completely different from the way they dealt with Columbia. Whereas Columbia, they really were open about the investigation. They were very respectful to the, you know, the deceased astronauts families was challenger they were trying to kind of rug sweep everything yeah absolutely different culture yeah for sure anyway go and check out that article right so although judy is a real person i do feel like this is a good place to segue into our today's feature so there's a lot of parallels with the story that are being told in for mankind and, and what what judy was part of so for mankind has absolutely captivated both Emily and I over the last couple of years and regular listeners of the podcast will know that we bring it up a hell of a lot even when it's not relevant it's al- <laughs> it's, it's almost brought up as much as Skylab um, anyway we interviewed the creator Ronald Moore in our 25th episode in February 2021 and in episode 13 we spoke to Eric Ladin who played Gene Krantz in season one so for those of you who don't know anything about it the premise of this show is what would have happened if the Soviets landed on the moon before the Americans. The season one focused on the direct aftermath of that in 69 and the early 70s, using a combination of fictional people alongside our real-life heroes from the, of the space age. And it made the great assumption there would then have been a race to get a base on the moon and also to get the first woman on the moon, thus accelerating the pace at which NASA had female astronauts by a number of years from real life. And that included a character called Danielle Paul, who is played by today's guest, Chris Marshall. Now, Danielle is not only in the first group of female astronauts selected to join NASA in For All Mankind, but she is also the first African-American astronaut. So season two then jumped ahead into the 80s to find out what would have happened next. And we got glimpses of Skylab Doctor, the Space Shuttle and other wonderful things and possibly the most dramatic ending I've ever experienced in watching TV. Season three will bring us into the 1990s. And from the looks of the trailer, it looks like we're going to Mars. Uh, We're going to make sure within this interview that there are no spoilers for the upcoming season. But we can't promise you there won't be spoilers for things that happen already in seasons one and two. So if this is a show that you want to watch, then go and do so, please, before listening to this interview. And you should really watch it. Uh, It is really wonderful on so many levels. Anyway, that's enough of us from now. Let's go and talk to Chris Marshall. Okay, we're off to a good start, Flight Cool. Thank you so much for joining us today, Chris. This is a real honor for both of us. I'd like to go way back, if that's okay. So how did you end up in For All Mankind? And be honest with us. We won't be offended if the answer is no. Before you got the role, were you someone who was into space travel and the Apollo program? Um, Okay, first of all, thank you guys for having me so much. I adore you both on Twitter. I'm so glad that we made this happen. I also did not realize that, Dave, you're freaking English. I just got back from London (laughs) this morning. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Um, So I 
came in for the casting office for a totally different show, having nothing to do with the show at all. Um, it was um, Junie and Libby, our casting directors, and they were casting a Lena Waithe show about lesbians in their 20s. Um, and the show is called 20s. So I came in and I was wearing like a short sundress and a jean jacket and sneakers and no socks on. And I was ready to play this lesbian in her 20s. And so the audition went well and I left. And as I was like heading back to the the studio parking lot, the intern comes running after me and she's like, hey, hey, Chris, do you have a second to read this thing about NASA? And I was like, NASA, <laughs> you may as well have asked me, like, you know, give me the square root of 85 billion. Like, I'm just like, so know nothing about science, know nothing about technology. So I'm like, um, OK, so <laughs> they hand me the sides. It's like 10 pages of material. And they're like, yeah, go ahead, take a look over and, you know, take your time. But of course, when someone's expecting for you to come back in straight away, take your time really means like take eight minutes. So I take that eight minutes to go over the scenes. And one was a really technical scene that actually ended up being a scene that Sarah Jones played with um, Ed Baldwin when she's in the fighter pilot and she's, you know, starting to screw up and Ed's giving her a hard time. So that was one audition scene. Um, and it was super, super technical. Um, then there was another scene that actually got cut from episode four where I explained some really complicated mathematical thing again i'm just here i am reading this like lord have mercy just get me out of here <laughs> but then the scene that i was able to glom onto was my scene with clayton and with gordo in the bar in season i'm sorry episode five season one and the scene was just so beautiful and it was so exciting and so i thought okay i'm gonna hold on to this i know i know how to act i know i can do that part so I worked on that. And then in my mind just said, I'm not going to be able to memorize this in the time that I have. So let me just go in there and kind of improv it. And so I did. And I left feeling really proud of myself, but knowing like I didn't get that job and that's okay. And so this is a funny story I've actually never told before. I'd had like a, a downslope. I had just done another show. I had a few months off where I hadn't been working. And so a friend was like, maybe you should get into class. And so this is my first day of this acting class. So I leave the audition, I head to acting class, and the class is not for me. I'm not enjoying it. The teacher's giving me a hard time. He's busting my balls. And during the half hour break, I see that I have like 11 missed calls. <laughs> and my manager is like, where the f*** are you? <laughs> Answer the phone. And I was like, I was in acting class. He's like, leave class now. You booked this job. So I'm like, What? So I like grab my things. I'm like, sorry, sorry, gotta go. Excuse me. As I step over the <laughs> out of work actors to go be a working actor. And uh, so, yeah, the next day we signed the contract. The next day after that, I was on set. Wow. So I had no time whatsoever to even acclimate to what this world was going to be. Of course, I did the best I could and tried to, you know, Google what is Cold War, Cold War when, um, <laughs> and just kind of get a, a gist of what this even is. Um, my husband was great and was super instrumental. And one of my first questions is I was like, okay, baby, like, so like, where was the cold war? Like, where did it mostly take place? He's like, yeah. Um, the, <laughs> the cold war is like a metaphor, hun. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I get it. Like it's a metaphor, but like, was it like in St. Petersburg or like, like in Moscow mostly? Like, where was it? Like, where was the fighting? <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's a cold war because they're, okay, you gotta, you gotta keep Googling. So yeah, I learned on the job. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> That's awesome. 
All right. You talked a little bit like you just kind of, you know, jumped into the role. But as you got a little further in, you know, what kind of research did you do to to become an Apollo astronaut? You know, we see Danielle Poole. We see her move to from the early 1970s. You know, she's mm. got a flippy kind of a flippy hairdo. And now she's in the <laughs> 1990s, you know. Mm. Was there anybody who, you know, maybe inspired you from that mm. time or beyond? Yeah. Um, so, you know, once you get through the first day of school jitters, um, you just remind yourself, like, I know how to act. I know that part. I went to school for acting. I know how to do this. So you just, you know, whether you're playing a, a engineer or an astronaut or you're playing a character from a galaxy far away, like all you can connect to truly in the beginning is the character. So I just read the script, read the script, read the script. I read about the civil rights era because our story starts in 1969. We know that Danielle is 25 at the start of the season. So that means that she started off in segregated schools. Um, so I did research on that experience, research on the music of that time period, listened to a lot of Aretha Franklin and uh, Marvin Gaye and um, the music, like, like Sam Cooke, musicians that were um, both pop culture musicians, but at the same time, freedom fighters with their music. And so really immersed myself in that world because I knew that there's no way that I can even come close to having the information that a NASA engineer has in the time that I was allotted. But I know how to tell a story. I know how to connect to a character. Um, so that part I can do. Um, thankfully, Ron Moore is like just a stinking genius and um, has the most incredible people who work with us and who are technical consultants. Um, so Garrett Reisman, who is actually a former NASA astronaut and has been to the International Space Station like three times. Um, he works on our show and he's with us on set all the time. And so he gave us a little astronaut crash course. He took us to lunch on the Sony lot and it was myself and Sonia, Jody and Sarah Jones. And the four of us just sat down and asked him all of the silly questions that you might ask, like, where do you pee? And how <laughs> hungry are you when you're there? And just like all the questions to try to get into the experience of what it's like to be an astronaut. Um, and then we also have um, Mike and Denise Akuda who have been with Ron for many, many years, and they worked with him back on, uh, I believe it was Deep Space Nine was maybe their first show together, and have been with him ever since. Um, and they're just um, incredibly talented um, technical advisors, and they understand the world so well. And they're great at not, um, you know, just beep, boop, bop, boop, 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 beep, now I'm a scientist. But you say, like, <laughs> hey, if I'm in this capsule, what are the different things that I'm doing with this joystick. I don't want to just move it around and be like an actress in a TV show. So they're great about that and helping to explain in layman's terms what all of this stuff is. And then aside from that, in our writing department, we have David Weddle and Bradley Thompson, who've been a team forever. They were also with Ron way back in the Star Trek days. One of them is a licensed pilot and loves to fly. So he's great and talks to us all the time about what that experience is like. Um, so we're just surrounded by so many geniuses, and I don't say that lightly, that you really feel cradled and you're able to do your work as an actor, knowing that these guys have that part covered. So I think for me, when I realised that this show 
was more than just for space geeks like us was <laughs> was episode seven of season one the hi bob episode I think, hi bob hi bob yeah i mean it just <laughs> took the show to the next level in my opinion in terms of you know obviously covering some dark themes but that hi bob sketch was just wonderful <laughs> was that hard to do or was it just a real laugh it's probably no surprise that uh, Michael, Joel, and I got on like a house on fire. I mean, you could tell. our director, Mira, would have to wait for us to just finish telling poop jokes before it's like, okay, <laughs> can we please get back to work, you three? Um, and I feel like they really treated me. I mean, our dynamics are like the dynamics on a show. You know, I would talk, no one would listen. Joel would say <laughs> something, we would yell at him. Michael would make a joke. He also plays guitar. He'd entertain us. He taught us all kinds of New Zealand popular card games. Uh, nice. I learned Euchre and Pinochle and other <laughs> weird old-timey card games. Um, you know, there's just so much downtime when you're on set. And the mornings are early. So, you know, you're in at 5 a.m. And you're sitting beside each other with the makeup trailer. And then you're on set and you're there for 12 hours. And then you're back in the trailer again, taking the makeup off. And so we really became um, like a, a band of brothers in that time. And it was just delightful. So a lot of the stuff that we did in the High Bob sketch, of course, a lot of it is direct mimicry from the episode, but then a ton of it is just improvised. Um, Joel, I think, really has this persona of being like this, you know, debonair, handsome, serious actor. And he's really, really funny in real life. Um, And Michael is too. And so we would just riff back and forth and have fun with each other. And a lot of the things that came about naturally um, just came from our dynamic together. That was one of my favorite. Ep- that's one of my favorite episodes of the series. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. It's such a great episode. And it's become a little bit of a cult thing amongst the, the fans of the show, isn't it? You know, meet, meet a fellow mm-hmm. fan. You say, hi, Bob. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so one of the coolest parts of the last season was when Danielle single-handedly changed a, a, a nasty international crisis with the Apollo Soyuz docking, really just saving the whole world. Um, yeah. I'm sure you researched that mission. Were there mm-hmm. any like things you incorporated from the real Apollo Soyuz into you know, doing that mission during that series. So one of the things I love about our show, and it's more overt when you see it in the um, historical renderings, Um, like you'll remember in season two, Tracy has a glitzy interview on uh, the Johnny Carson show. That was a real interview with Sandra D, I believe it was. And so all of the Johnny Carson stuff stayed the exact same And they were somehow with the special VFX team were able to slot Sarah into the what looked like the same lighting and the same shot reverse shot. And it's pretty incredible. Um, So the same was true. Not exactly the same, but similar was done with the um, the Soyuz Apollo handshake or Apollo Soyuz handshake. There are real shots of those astronauts, and we really did the best we could with the stunt team to make the exact same hand gestures, the same thumbs up, the same peace signs. There's like an awkward kind of hug that we are sort of doing, and all of that was very um, deliberately plotted out. We didn't just sort of like go on wires and kind of go for it. I really, again, much like I enjoyed the work I did with Michael and Joel in season one, I really enjoyed my time with my Russians in season two, because we almost had like a little show within a show. And that experience of working in these tight, crammed spaces and really spending a ton of time together 
Nikola is the actor who plays the the lead um, Russian, and he and I are just really good friends now, and it was a really awesome experience. So, obviously, no spoilers, but this season focuses on on Mars. It, it looks mm-hmm. like there's sort of a joint commercial NASA-Mars mission, or missions. Mm-hmm. Um, we also see the original Apollo astronauts from the previous seasons, and, and they're growing older. Mm-hmm. Without providing any, any spoilers, obviously, <laughs> how do you think the fans of the previous seasons are going to take all of this? I'm, I'm almost positive there's they're going to kill off somebody I like, you know? Emily, <laughs> big Emily, side, big side, Emily, big side. You big know side. damn well we're gonna kill somebody you love. You know that it wouldn't be us. Pick the person you love and watch them die. That's the, that's what the show should be. Yeah, last season, last season I was a disaster. By the way, thank thank you guys for doing that. Uh, oh it my gives, god, it gives me the shakes to even think about it. And you know, when you make a movie, you know from the day you start what scene one is like and what scene ninety one is like. With this, um, our writers are little kleptomaniacs. You know, they're stealing bits and pieces from us. So they're watching us interact. And um, it's no secret that as a cast, we're really close. Um, So we get together and we have barbecues and birthday parties and baby showers. And we spend a lot of time together. So we have this long-standing rapport with each other that they see. And they, Ron admits it. He's like, we see it and we sneak it in. We love it. So... With that being said, it is as devastating for us to find out that Tracy and Gordo die as it is for the audience. None of us knew. Um, No one was expecting it. Our writers deliberately are, they break the season at the beginning before the actors come in. um, And they have a gist, of course, of where this is going to go. And they have the first handful of episodes written. But as time goes on, as they're watching the stories develop and as they're receiving the dailies, they're making changes and adjustments. Um, So I believe Ron and Matt and Ben were saying that they had kicked around the idea of killing either Tracy or Gordo around episode two or three. Um, And then the writer's room said, no, 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 no. Come on, you guys. Are you freaking crazy? We can't do that. Everybody loves Tracy and Gordo. And then the conversation would go away. And then someone else would come back and go, you know, we could kill him. Come on, guys. This is ridiculous. We're not going to kill him. Just stop talking about it. Let's, Let's move on to the rest of the season. And then around episode seven or eight, it just became more and more apparent that this would properly gut the audience and would be a really beautiful way to memorialize this love that has come full circle in a lot of ways. Um, So that was tough. (laughs) That was really tough. Um, And it makes me, as both a cast member on the show and also just a fan of the show, I, I definitely don't play it cool when it comes to our show. I love it. But it makes me so happy when um, folks like you guys say, man, I'm still not over that. So with that said, um, get ready to feel that way again. Oh, God. <laughs> no. Oh, my yeah. God. I'm already yeah. like. <laughs> oh, God. My heart has just started racing. Yeah. Just seeing the trailer, I was freaking yeah. out. Yeah. But I think that's the beauty of what we do is that um, – you know, there really is no room for ego on our show. I mean, mm-hmm. there, yes, you could say like, oh, these people are the leads, but it really isn't that, that's not the case. There are entire episodes where you don't see Margot at all, or you don't see Ed at all. And you spend the entire episode with Danielle and these Russians or with, um, with uh, Aleda and her life. So, you know, that's what I love is that we're never too committed to anything. We're just committed to telling 
a really beautiful story. And sometimes that commitment to a beautiful story also means sacrificing folks we love. Absolutely. Absolutely. So right. did I find a way to answer without answering? <laughs> yes, yeah. you did. Thank yeah. you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am terrified. I don't even want to watch episode one. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm like, I don't even want to click on that mess because I'm going to be a mess like two minutes in. All yeah. right. I'm suitably nervous for watching, but also excited at the same time. Yeah. So I think the wonderful thing about For All Mankind is that there are deeper themes and that it shows an alternate how an alternative world could be more progressive in some ways, and yet there's mm-hmm. still struggles that exist. It's something that Emily and I have talked about to death. Mm-hmm. To young people watching the show who may not know the real history of spaceflight, they may get really inspired mm-hmm. by this and obviously you know how much representation matters do you feel some sense of responsibility with that do you see that with any of the interactions you have with fans of the show online Uh, are there young women or young black people Mm -hmm. who come to you and say they're inspired to get into space because of this show yes yes and it is one of my favorite experiences um you're a hundred percent right dave representation absolutely matters um something i spoke about in um the final episode of the for all mankind podcast is that, you know, when I was growing up in our real timeline, um, there really were no examples of what it looks like to be black and be an astronaut. Um, May Jemison was the first black female astronaut in I think 1991 or 1992. Um, and in the course of doing the podcast and interviewing with um, current and former NASA employees, I discovered that there's only been two since then. I was shocked. Um, I think like most folks, you just find yourself believing that the once the glass ceiling is broken, then it's broken for good and it's great for black folks in space. And so for me to have discovered that there's only been two since May and the last was one of my guests on the show and her last mission was in 2006. So that's wild to me. Um, that's wild to me that it's been... Um, more than, you know, 15 years since there has been. And that makes me angry. And it reminds me that we still have to continue to forward progression in the world of representation and diversity constantly. There have been gay astronauts who've come out since their time, but there's never been an open gay astronaut at the ISS or in space ever. Um, That was also a shock to me. So when I think about myself, um, I always thought, you know, that the the limit was maybe I could be a doctor, I could be a lawyer. But what influenced me to become an actor was watching The Cosby Show and watching um, Lisa on, um, you know, Saved by the Bell and things like that and being like, oh, wow, that's cool. She's black. I'm black. I could be an actress. Um, but when you're little, that really, you look around you and, you know, if you grow up eating spicy food, then you like spicy food. And if you grow up hearing (laughs) French, you learn French. If you grow up seeing black people do certain kinds of jobs and you just assume that that's where the limit exists. So for me, you know, hearing about Mae Jemison and her time in space was akin to also hearing about Sojourner Truth or, you know, George Washington Carver, these like big names of African-Americans who did special things a really long time ago and not realizing that that history, African-American history is U.S. history. And it's also present day. It's being made right now. Um, So for our show, I remember when we had our season premiere um, and it was this huge, gorgeous event at this Westwood Theater and there were 
helicopters and red carpet and thousands of people. And I remember pulling up with my mom and my manager and my agent and the streets are blocked off, you know, one square mile. And I said, oh, man, the streets are blocked off. How are we going to get to my premiere? And he looked at me and said, oh, the streets are blocked off for your premiere. Um, So it was it was still like my mind couldn't believe like, oh, wow, this is a really big deal. And one of the interviews I had on the red carpet was with a journalist from, I believe it was from Variety. Her name is Angelique. And she asked me, you know, do you feel pressure um, being the only black cast member and the lead cast of the show and playing this black astronaut? And I said, I definitely feel pressure. Absolutely. Because I know that I don't get the luxury of just being Chris Marshall. I have to be a sort of monolith in a lot Mm. of ways for what it means to be a black woman. And is this rendition of it going to be pleasing to my people and to women and to people from the South and to whoever. Um, But the only thing that gives me solace is recognizing that I stand on the shoulders of folks who've already done this. Um, They've done it before me. They've paved a way and I'm grateful for it. And so in my own way, I both get to stand on those shoulders and also help the next gal up and prop her up on my shoulders and if we can create more women um, who tell stories like Ahuru from Star Trek or like the lead actresses on Foundation, like we're beginning to see that seeing a black woman in this position as a commander, as a leader, she gets to both be a representation of her um, of her culture, but also so much more. At the end of the day, she's just a human telling her story. Um, and that really excites me. So yeah, it's pressure, but I could handle it. I love that Danielle in the show is human because and a Star Trek fan. Yeah, <laughs> and in a lot of I don't know how to word this, but in a lot of shows, there's a trope that you know the the minority person, like the woman or the black woman or whoever, mm-hmm. has to be like the strong person, and I hate mm-hmm. that because I'm like. Let them be a real person with vulnerabilities. Like there, yeah. there's this part in For All Mankind where it's after, you know, your husband on the show commits suicide and you're in the mm-hmm. car and you're like, I don't want to. You could tell Danielle's like, I don't want to go into, the, you know, the outpost. The outpost. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to go in there. She's scared, but she's like, I got to go in there. And mm-hmm. I love that because it portrayed her as somebody who is like, you know, obviously this is a pioneer, but it's somebody with real anxiety and real vulnerability and i love that touch because i hate it when shows you know portray people as you know all one thing or you know it just doesn't it's it's not real life you know everybody's gonna have a little bit of vulnerability so that was just an observation i had and i really loved how you played that thank you emily i really appreciate that and um that's important to me um you know as an actor um yes i'm a black woman but I also grew up listening to Tori Amos <laughs> and Ani DeFranco and Alanis Morissette and watching MTV. Like, I think that a lot of our cultural divides actually don't exist because some of my f- favorite foods have nothing to do with where I'm from or my background or yeah. my heritage. Just the fact that I just really like kale or whatever. <laughs> and so my favorite things about Danielle or that not only is she a Trekkie, but she's just a TV geek. She just loves TV. And this is what I mean about our writers being kleptos. I, Chris, am a TV geek. Um, so they see <laughs> these things about us and they're like, oh, this is a lovely touch. Okay, great. Um, Danielle wasn't originally from the South. 
it actually wasn't decided, but I'm from Atlanta. So then they thought, okay, Danielle's from Tennessee. She's from Memphis. Um, so when we find these ways to steep and soak a character in uh, sort of normalcy and pedestrian kind of things, it makes them not feel so far away. It reminds you like, oh, she's just a person who's experiencing life. Um, and what you mentioned about her vulnerability in that moment of like, I want to go in and talk to my friends, but I'm terrified. We've all been there. We've yeah. all sat in a car that we parked and just like worked ourselves up to go and have that conversation. Yeah. Um, this season, season three, they, I won't spoil it, but they're leading in the direction of Danielle's humanity. There are some decisions and some choices she makes that I don't like at all. Um, and that was really difficult for me. And I would actually love to talk to you guys again once the season is <laughs> out and we can just really go into it so you can remind me of this. Um, but in the same way that it became a big talking point of um, Karen's character sleeping with her best friend's son um, is not the same, of course, but a similar decision where you're like, wait a minute, Danielle, I thought I knew you. I thought I understood you. And then you realize like, no, 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 no. These are human beings and they're going to disappoint you. They're going to frustrate you. They're going to do things you don't want them to do. And that's what makes them human. And for Danielle to always be, like you said, the strong black woman who's always in the position of right. How boring, how totally one dimensional and boring would that be? Um, so I'm so stoked for you guys to get to see it. Yeah, me too. Me too. And, and everything you've just said there is absolutely spot on as well. Any of the TV shows, which I love, uh, have characters which are flawed and mm -hmm. even the characters you love are flawed and the flaws sometimes make you love them even more. Sometimes they make you mm -hmm. question them a little bit, but that's fine as well because it makes it more real and more human. And that's important. Um, also, I, I just want to uh, bring up, I, I loved your answer to my last question, which I appreciate was quite deep. Um, I, I have some good news for you. I know, I know it doesn't mean that the problem is solved, um, but Currently, we do have a black woman on the International Space Station. Her name is oh Jessica. My goodness. Her name is Jessica Wat Watkins. Oh wait, I did know this. Oh my goodness, yes, I did know this. Uh, yes, and and I think potentially she's going to be the the first woman on the moon. I hope so as well because she's a geologist and she couldn't be more qualified. But also, we had a the first uh, black female of a pilot of a, a space vehicle last September as well in uh, in Doctor okay, Simon Proctor. So um, I know Amazing. it's only two extra names, but yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it steps forward, isn't it? Which is, which is important. As you said before that it was over 10 years and that's too long. That's huge. Thank you for that correction. Yeah. Um, well, I, yeah, it's more since you recorded that podcast, things have changed, which exactly, is, which yeah. is mm -hmm. rather than correcting you. I agree. It should, yeah. but it should be more than the, it, I'm like two since 2006. That's mm -hmm. not... <laughs> Like that, I'm sorry no, that it's not enough. Absolutely. You know, but whatever. So anyway, away from For All Mankind, where yeah. might we next see Chris Marshall? Is there anything you're working on that you can tell us about right now? Um, I just did a guest stint on another Apple show. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about that. So there's that. If you have Apple TV Plus, keep watching. You'll see me you on another see. Apple show. Um, but it's not, I guess maybe not. That's not been publicly announced just yet. Um, but of course, as you guys know, season three premieres um, in less than two weeks, which is super exciting. And I am not allowed to break any news about a season four. So that's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> 
We, when we spoke to Ron, he said he's planned seven seasons. So obviously it, yeah. depend, it depends on lots of other factors, I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think the show is going from strength to strength. And I think Emily and I would both be gutted if it was cancelled. And, and Tell me about it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Well, yeah. Anyway, I think we should wrap this up now. This has been wonderful. We hopefully yes. we'll speak to you again. Uh, wish you all the success for the, for the upcoming season. And uh, hopefully that it will wow everyone as the first two have as well and thank you for joining this us this was awesome thank you guys so much for having me and yeah let's let's definitely talk again once the season is done because then we can really get into the nitty-gritty absolutely yes, i can't wait <laughs> all right when you're a little girl growing up in akron ohio did you say gee i'd like to be an astronaut someday no i really didn't think about it until about four years ago when nasa announced that they were looking for astronauts who would be uh engineers and scientists on the space shuttle and it was accidental that i heard about it and i just took a chance and applied Hey, Emily, I just want to congratulate you because before she joined us in the Zoom chat, you made out that you were quite nervous and you thought you might even press leave. Uh, But not only did you stay, you kept your cool. I thought you handled that pretty well. Thank you so much. Yeah, I was fangirling (laughs) the whole time. Um, uh, Chris Marshall is my favorite actor on the whole show. Danielle Poole for life, although I hope I don't hate her after this season. Oh, dear. (laughs) Oh, geez. I hope I don't hate her, but I'm trying to put together my, we all make mistakes speech, you know, to to justify whatever she did, you know? Yeah, that was such a fascinating interview. Obviously, we know Chris as Danielle Poole, right? That's how we know of her. Yes, we follow her on Twitter and Instagram and things like that, but we know of her as a character. So it's always really lovely when you meet an actor who you know as a character and they're just really lovely and really intelligent and really articulate and help you love the show even more. And I think that's exactly what we just experienced. But Emily, how nervous are you about season three right now? There's this part of me that doesn't even want to watch it now. (laughs) I'm like, I don't even want to know what happened. I'm probably too emotionally invested into that show, especially, uh, you know, what they did to my mom and dad last season, you know, (laughs) they did to Tracy and Gordo. I was, I'm still a mess. So yeah, I'm very nervous about why. I will watch next season, but I'm extremely like, oh my God, what are they going to do? And and poor Molly, man. Molly. <laughs> Dude, Molly's got a gray hair and a cane. I'm like, what did they do to her? Yeah. No. Well, it's an interesting yeah. concept, isn't it? Jumping ahead 10 years at a time. I think it's a really great concept, but it's an interesting one. And it'll be interesting to see how that develops into season four. If fingers crossed, there is a season four. It means there's going to have to be heartbreak because yeah. we're going to see these characters at different stages of their life, yeah. having gone through a lot more than we're necessarily going to see on the screen. Um, so I, I think yeah. that's a, a, another fascinating aspect of this show, which uh, is why we love it. I mean, it, it's nice to think that we're all going to live to be, you know, to live to be a hundred or something, but that's not always the case, you know? So we're going to see them age and, and that in itself, I mean, I, I'm just speculating. I have no idea what's going to happen on the show, but that in itself is a challenge, you know, because, uh, you know, some of y'all in your, in your forties, <laughs> you know, might know this already. Things don't work as well as they did. You know, your knee starts to maybe give out, you know, just stuff like that. And it's like, it's interesting to see, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how they further age over, over time and how, you know, they deal with that. You know, somebody like Ed Baldwin, who's like the ultimate alpha male, you know, he's not going to like aging that much. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to bring that back to the real world. I've I've seen some wonderful interviews with Alan Shepard in the nineties, 
just before he died. And you can always or already tell that he knows he's not the man he was, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. yet he also still feels like he is the man he was. You know, there's that real juxtaposition going on in his own mind. You can really see it within those interviews. I think p- particularly the ones where he knew he was ill as well. It's a really fascinating yeah. thing to, to study someone over a long period of time, especially that alpha male or someone who's got a distinct personality type. I think that's a fascinating thing, which this show it, it enables us to explore because we only see them once every 10 years. It's going to be really cool. I, I love I love how this show is just so multifaceted and there's just so many layers to it as well. Like it's not, you know, it, it's nothing is really just simple. Yeah. That's real life, you know, and to me, I, I just love that. It, it seems more realistic than, okay, we did this and everything went just fine. You know, there was no adversity whatsoever. Some people might disagree with me on that. I've heard some people say, oh, they they have problems all the time. And I'm like, yeah, but it keeps it, you know, interesting, you know, and at the at the pace technology is moving in that universe, they're probably less risk averse than they would be in real life. You know, I don't mm. know. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. Um, one thing that we got reminded about in this interview was that for the last season, For All Mankind had their own podcast and it was really good. And we did talk about it on this pod- podcast as well. It's definitely worth checking out if you want to find out more about the show and about their journey at learning about things that were going on. Uh, I think it's really great. And their explanations of some of the things that were going on. It was a really good marketing tool when COVID was going on for a show, I guess. Uh, it was a really nice way of connecting everyone who was at home watching the show i loved it so i really like that yes absolutely yeah i I love i love everything about that show i um you guys can't see this if you're just listening to the podcast but i got all the patches i was gonna say you're hoping they do a season three patches have you you got your eye out for that yes i will buy them the second they're released (laughs) i thought you'd say that so as always the full interview will be going up on video form on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash space and things. Thanks to everyone who's already joined us over there. If you haven't done so yet and you're willing and able, we would love to have you. Uh, And you'll find out all about the upcoming interviews we have got lined up as well. In the show notes, I will put links to all of Chris Marshall's social media accounts and a link to the trailer for season three of For All Mankind. But don't forget to get in contact once the show starts airing next Friday to let us know your thoughts on the episodes. I can't wait. It's going to come out June 11th, Friday, June 11th on Apple TV. Uh, Roger, Houston, Apollo 10, you can tell the world that we have arrived. Okay, in what is possibly the rarest of things on this podcast since i recorded the new segment last week on wednesday we have not had a single launch and it doesn't look like we're going to have one until after this podcast comes out what's up with the rocket companies <laughs> right they're they're just slacking this week huh? yeah wow get to work i'm joking i'm joking <laughs> Although talking of launches, I do think this counts. NASA has released a video from the 25th launch of the Ingenuity helicopter on Mars. Now, this launch took place on April 8th, and we talked about it at the time, but the video has only just been released. It was a record-breaking flight for the helicopter, which flew across a distance of 2,310 feet, 704 meters, at a speed of 12 miles per hour, which is 19 uh, kilometers an hour. Thank you. With a maximum altitude of 33 feet, which is 10 meters. Impeccable conversion skills there, Emily. Great job. Love that. 
Yeah, impeccable math. Impeccable math. <laughs> Absolutely impeccable math. Yeah. Or maths, as you always <laughs> yes, say. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the flight lasted uh, 163.1 seconds, although the video is sped up, and the whole flight is captured in a 30-second clip, which used the downward-looking navigational camera to observe the sands below. Um, it's really quite something when you watch. Dave will put the video in our show notes, which you can find on our website, or by clicking on the link in the description of this podcast in your podcast provider. Yeah. So I found out why it's, why we've only just got it. And one of the reasons is because it takes so long for, to download a, a video that, that's that long from Mars, obviously. I know that sounds wow. obvious when you say it out loud, but you still forget, right, that it actually does take that long. Uh, yeah. But yes, I will put that in the show notes. Please go and check that out. Also, while we're talking about Mars, NASA's MAVEN spacecraft, which has been orbiting the planet since 2014, went into a protective safe mode due to a navigational system glitch. MAVEN is short for Mars Atmosphere and Volatile Evolution Mission. And its job is to study how Mars lost its surface water. The spacecraft entered the safe mode on February 22nd. And while it's in that mode, all of the science instruments are shut down while awaiting for instructions from flight controllers. Pretty clever, obviously. Uh, NASA has since managed to turn off the safe mode on April 19th. But the craft is now only operating to a limited capacity with the primary antenna pointed at the Earth to maintain a high rate of communications with controllers on the Earth. Normally, this antenna is used as a communication relay for the rovers on the ground of the planet. So all of the scientific equipment is online. It just can't collect any data at the moment. So the team is currently working to resume nominal science by the end of this month. Wow. Uh, meanwhile, NASA has also announced that the next wet dress rehearsal for the Artemis 1 rocket will take place on June 19th. This is when the rocket gets fueled on the pad and goes through a complete countdown without actually launching. This is the brand new mega rocket, which will hopefully be taking humans back to the moon in a few years if it completes this test successfully. Uh, we will see the first uncrewed launch, which will hopefully take place sometime in August. Uh, no definitive date has been confirmed for this until the wet test has been completed. This will be the second te uh, second attempt, I'm sorry, at the uh, dress rehearsal. The first one was attempted earlier this year, but ran into some issues on the pad, which meant that the rocket had to be brought back to the vehicle assembly building. Uh, that's the big giant building uh, at Kennedy Space Center for some maintenance. NASA has also been in defense mode following a report on a website called Space Explored. Emily, this is going to get you mad, I guarantee you. So this website claimed that hypergolic propellant leaked into the heat shield of the SpaceX Dragon capsule, which was used for the latest Axiom-1 mission. And this leak could have impacted the integrity of that heat shield, which apparently caused dangerously excessive wear during re-entry. This report cited unnamed sources at both NASA and SpaceX. It went on to speculate that the same problem could happen on the Crew-4 mission, which is currently in orbit on the International Space Station. Now, NASA have released a very strong statement claiming this is incorrect and stated that the data associated with Dragon's recent crew re-entry was normal and that the system performed as designed without dispute. Uh, that's really strong language there. They say that there has not been a hypergoal leak during the return of a crew Dragon mission nor any contamination with the heat shield causing excessive wear. 
The NASA statement goes on to talk about how SpaceX and NASA have extensive testing in place for the heat shields, and as a result of these, the heat shield for the upcoming Crew-5 mission has indeed been changed and will be retested. Uh, and they're using this as proof that their safety standards are more than adequate to ensure that the crews get home safely. This is one of those crazy stories. How, how does a website end up having the gall to release a story like that? And and yet NASA say how wrong it was. So apparently the website has now updated their article, including a NASA statement. But yet they've not taken their original story down, which is just crazy. I, I don't I don't understand how that happens. Yeah, I'm just hoping NASA's right because Me too. Crew Me 4 too. is still up there. And I don't even want to say this out loud, but we know what happened the last time NASA did. Didn't say anything about a heat shield. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I have no issue with people calling out safety issues if there are legitimate safety issues. But if this is just made up, if this is actually just made up, then that's so irresponsible. I know they've made this statement, but I feel like they should do more than just make a statement. Do you know what I mean? I feel like that's grounds for court cases and legal, like especially when you've got families of the astronauts who are on that Crew 4 mission on the ground. Yeah, they're still up there and if you say something, you know, wrong and you and you mention names, you know, technically that that's libel and that is a lawsuit. So yeah. I'm sure they're sorting that out or that they're in panic mode, but hopefully not. Yeah. Uh well, so I guess we'll I guess we'll see. I yeah. guess we'll see, yeah. So, a brand new startup company in California has emerged called Astroforge and aims to become the first ever viable asteroid mining company. Uh, they formed in January of this year, but only came out of stealth mode on May 26th. Uh, they're raising $13 million in seed funding and have developed a lab and lab-tested a new technology for processing asteroid material and have even booked a ride on a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket to test that tech out in orbit. It is unclear whether the family of Harry Stamper has been consulted on this. <laughs> I don't want to close my eyes. Okay, I'll shut up. I'm sorry. Amazing. Nobody needed to hear that. What I didn't expect to happen in this episode was to hear Emily sing Aerosmith. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. Terrible, terrible, terrible. All right. I yeah. won't sing anymore. Ben Affleck's also on standby for that uh, Falcon 9 yeah, launch. Yeah, for this, <laughs> for this <laughs> mission, right? Yeah. And finally, on June 15th, a brand new attraction opens at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor's Center, Gateway, the Deep Space Launch Complex. It's a part museum and part 4D experience. And it's a multi-level building at the far end of the Rocket Garden. Uh, within that garden, and some of you may have been there, we've spoken about it before, you've got loads of rockets of the past, but inside Gateway is a collection of the new and next for NASA and the space industry. Um, artifacts include the first flown SpaceX Dragon capsule to visit the ISS. It's not a crew dragon, but a dragon nonetheless. It has the Orion Exploration Flight Test 1 capsule, which flew in... 2014, uh, a simulator for Boeing's Starliner crew spacecraft, and one of the side boosters from the first SpaceX Falcon Heavy launch. So it's pretty cool artifacts in there. The second floor apparently has an interactive floor-to-ceiling digital wall where you can learn about 40 different satellites and space probes, and it all eventually leads to a thing called Spaceport KSC, where visitors are transported to an airport of the future with Four gates offering boarding to four destinations. 
which are Cosmic Wonders, Daring Explorers, Red Planet, and Uncharted Worlds. Essentially, it's a space simulator where you share the journey with 21 other people. Each journey lasts in about four and a half minutes. So if you're planning a trip to KSC, your general admission ticket will give you access to this new attraction. That really sounds cool. Um, I think I, I'm a, I shouldn't say this. I think I've seen uh, the SpaceX capsule, and I think I've seen the, the um, Orion but already they used to be in another part of KSC, so they've just moved them in yeah but that's still really cool and and the uh latter part of it where you get you know you can go to for choose your own adventure sounds like the horizons right at epcot back in the day i think there's definitely some comparisons there isn't there yeah it sounds like the horizons ride which was <laughs> very retro well i'm sure this new ride is a little more updated but the old ride you could go to like space the desert or undersea and it was uh, I love that ride, but they tore that down like 30-something, <laughs> like 30 <laughs> years ago. It was so dated by the time they tore it down. But yeah, that's cool. I, I, I can't wait to go. I need to actually renew my, um, I did not renew my yearly pass last week because I was so busy, but I need to go back soon and renew my pass. Yeah. It's one of those things, isn't it? Because Kennedy Space Center is obviously an hour and a bit away from Orlando, so it competes with Disney World for tourists, right? So it, it oh, yeah. has to have this element of ride within it, which other air and space museums probably don't need to think about. Uh, but it does add a whole new dimension, an extra dimension to the visitor center, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So that's it for this week. Uh, thank you once again for joining us. I'm going to be on holiday next week, so we have a pre-recorded show with no news, but we'll get back up to date in a fortnight and I'll be full speed ahead in the planning show 100, which I can assure you it's a show that will be worth joining our Patreon page for. So more details on that in the coming weeks. By the way, for you American people, a fortnight is two weeks. Oh, sorry. Uh, just sorry. So you know. it's not no, just- you're fine. I was not criticizing you. <laughs> I, I, yeah. It's just there are probably a couple of Americans who are like, what is a fortnight? I, I had you know, no idea that was a, a British expression. Apologies. Not really. It, it, not To me, it's not. But some people might just be like, what is that? You know, I don't know. But, uh, oh, God. I wasn't. Cor- I'm sorry. Now I feel like I was correct. <laughs> no, it's all I was good. Not. I'm happy with that. You, correct right. away. <laughs> Translate to, to your American kin. To our American gibberish. Yeah. <laughs> our, our, yeah. Our American gibberish. Exactly. Um, thanks to all who have continued to support the podcast, either financially or by leaving a review or sharing it with your friends or by listening. But don't forget, in space, no one can hear you mean. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.